Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater Church. My name is Josh and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so excited to begin this brand new series with you. Stories. Stories. We all love a good one, whether it's a book or a movie or a gifted storyteller. I think there's something about stories that just causes us to lean in a little bit. Something about stories that causes our imagination to sort of play a little bit. For those of us who have uh, had a few decades pass, uh, sometimes we need a little a kickstart, a jumpstart to get our imaginations to go. And we're jumping into the book of Exodus, seeing this story. I remember as a young boy, loving a good story. I even, I even saw myself in athletics. I remember growing up in Indiana, my brother and I would watch March Madness with my dad. We would watch the the Indiana Hoosiers play basketball uh, on TV, but that wouldn't last too long for us because about halftime, we couldn't take it anymore. We laced up our sneakers and went out to the driveway, and we were two of Indiana's starting five. We just were. We had our names. We had our jerseys, our numbers. We had everything. That was us. Why did we do that? We did that because we could see ourselves in those moments. It's why a good game captivates you because we see ourselves. We have a way of seeing ourselves in someone else's story. We have this natural ability to do that. We wonder what we would do if we were in their situation. We wonder how we would feel if we were confronted with that type of scenario. And so um, we cheer them on because we want them to succeed because ultimately that's what we want for ourselves. And in this series in Exodus, the call is to see ourselves in someone else's story. That's exactly what we're doing. We're going to see how their situation parallels our own. We're going to learn from their mistakes, and Lord willing, we'll learn from their successes too. Specifically, we're going to be in the first part of the Bible, going way back to the very second book of the Bible, entitled Exodus. And as you saw in the little video, uh, we're tackling this book that covers events from the nation of Israel. All right, so we're not going back to the very beginning in Genesis. We're going to Exodus. And in doing this, we're going to see God's choosing of a nation uh, for himself that he would use to be a blessing to all the people of the earth. So we're jumping into some stories that many of us have heard before. And I would have to say, looking here or maybe online, that probably for a few of us, the things that we'll talk about will be brand new. And whether this is the 50th time around the track for you or your very first time, there is something in here for you. And I'm excited for us to get into it together. In saying that, I want to make it clear that we're doing a significant a flyover of this book at significant altitude. There are 40 chapters in this book. This series is five weeks long. All right. So uh, we're going to do our very best to capture the mountaintops, the peaks uh, of this account that help us to trace the human story through the book of Exodus. And we want to provide some background and context, but understand we couldn't possibly give it all. Even if we took 40 weeks to do the series, we wouldn't do it. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin in the book of Exodus where we all begin. In this series, we're understanding that all of us have the exact same starting place. We all begin at the same spot. But I want to tell you, where you end up is up to you. All right, we're all starting from the same spot, but where you end up at the end of this five weeks 
will be up to you. We all have the same starting point, but some of us become the people of God. You'll be the one who decides how that story develops. In fact, in the New Testament, in the second part of the Bible, uh, the Apostle Paul writes these words about the very events that we are going to look at. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter six or 10, verse 6. He says, These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did, talking about the nation of Israel. Next verse. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. We have very clear instruction from the New Testament that what was written about in the Old Testament was for us. So the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, traces the earliest, the origin of, of history. All right? It begins with God as the creator, and he created everything as it should be. The crowning jewel of his creation were Adam and Eve, the human race. And everything was wonderful. Adam and Eve, people, enjoyed a perfect relationship with God. But then they rebelled. And when they rebelled, they ushered sin into the world, and the whole world came under the curse of sin. All right, 50 chapters in Genesis, you can start that little trek whenever you would like. Part of God's plan, though, was not to leave the relationship, his relationship with humankind, broken, but he went to work to restore that relationship. And as he went to work, we find that he chose a nation. He chose specifically a person from which a nation would come, and from that nation, ultimately, Jesus would come be born. So as we look at the history of the nation of Israel, we're looking at the history of really Jesus' ancestors and seeing how God used this messed up nation to bring forth a savior to do something eternally significant for all of humankind. All right, so it's really, really amazing. This chosen nation, all right, Jacob's family was living in Canaan. That's modern day Israel. But they were uh, experiencing a severe famine. So they traveled down from Israel to Egypt for rescue. And the, uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, took them in and said, you can live here. In fact, um, you can track this story of how this all uh, happened, specifically in Genesis chapters 37 to 50. We see how... Jacob uh, traveled down with his family because his son, Joseph, was already there. Joseph had earned favor. In fact, Joseph was the functional ruler of Egypt, which was the mightiest nation in the world at the time. And then a period of time passes. In fact, 430 years pass from when uh, Jacob's family went down to Egypt and stayed there. 430 years passed, and ruler after ruler after ruler of the nation of Egypt arose. And finally, uh, we come to Exodus. All right, here's the first seven verses of the book of Exodus. You could turn there. We're just going to be there essentially the whole time. I'll throw a couple other scriptures at you, but you can plant yourself firmly in, in Exodus chapter 1. Here's how it begins. I'll read it, and it'll be on the screen next to me. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. 
Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt, as I said, because he had his own, his own way of getting down to Egypt and was ruling there. Verse 6, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. I don't know if you noticed in verse 6. Verse 6 begins with the word now. So as you're reading Genesis 1 through 50 and making your way into Exodus, you see that word now and you understand that this is a continuation of the account that began in Genesis. It's meant to work together. So that's what's happening. So what Exodus begins describing are events that actually happened. But for the people of God throughout the Bible, these events Came, became symbols. They became um, representative for what their life was like. In fact, people in the New Testament time would refer back to these events and see their story in this story. And we're going beyond that. We've got Old Testament, New Testament, and here we are seeing ourselves again in their story. And while initially seen as a place of refuge, in fact, there was a famine, as I said, and they went down to Egypt. They were there for rescue. This land of rescue eventually became a land of captivity. What they once went to to find peace and rest and comfort and satisfaction and provision became the place of trial and torment and enslavement. And this is where our story begins. This is where our story meets theirs. Because if we're going to understand our story in Exodus, we first have to understand the nature of sin. Throughout the Bible, the land of Egypt is used as a parallel, as an illustration for what sin is like. So let's talk about sin for a minute. We can define sin as any motive, thought, action or word that violates God's law. The Bible teaches that all people are sinners by nature and by choice. We are born at odds with God. Sin is a huge concept, but let me show you this quote by a man named Cornelius Plantinga, wrote a book called Sin, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Here's what he said. Sin is any act, thought, desire, emotion, word or deed, or its particular absence that displeases God and deserves blame. Sin is a culpable and personal affront to a personal God. It is personal rebellion against God. So as we encounter the human story, it's necessary that we focus first on the nature of sin. So we're going to jump in back into Exodus, but here's the first truth that I want us to wrestle with together today. Sin subtly takes us into captivity. Sin subtly takes us into captivity. Look in your Bibles, verses 8 through 11. It'll also be on the screen. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. The people of Israel went down to Egypt as 70 people. 
and multiplied amazingly. And almost on a dime, something changes for their situation. Where they went to find food and shelter and comfort because of famine, suddenly now was the place of their captivity. And it was subtle. 430 years they had been living in Egypt just fine. And in a moment, realized they're in trouble. They're now slaves. It wasn't like they went down there thinking that might be a possibility. It wasn't even in their mind. They went down there because there was something there that they needed. And think about not only the adults for whom things had changed, but now the children who are just born into this slavery. Now, this is just the only life they know. They didn't become captives on purpose. They just found themselves in slavery, and such is the nature of sin. It seems surprising and even brutal, but God's word teaches that we, even we, are born into sin, born at odds with God. The beautiful baby that you hold after you deliver, your beautiful grandchildren, your beautiful great-grandchildren are born into slavery. Not to Egypt, to sin. David, in Psalm 51.5, puts it this way. This is what he says, describing the human condition. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. At conception, this child, every child, is a sinner. And so our story meets theirs when they find themselves held captive. Their captor was Egypt. Our captor is sin. And there's nothing we can do about that. It's just the way it is. We are born in need of rescue with no power to deliver ourselves from bondage. In fact, many of us in this room, you, you, you don't even know what's going on. Like you just came to church this morning. You're like, hey, yeah, that sounds good. I think we'll go. We'll get some lunch. You didn't know you were going to come and find out that you were held captive to sin. But that's God's word for you this morning. As I said, we all have the same starting place. This is how we all begin. No one is born in a right relationship with God. You and I were born into captivity. And this bad news gets worse. Because sin is not only a subtle taskmaster, sin is also deceptive. Here's the second truth I want you to wrestle with today. Sin quickly turns from provider to oppressor. Sin quickly turns from provider to oppressor. Take a look at verses 12 to 14. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So again, Egypt begins with provision, providing something that they needed, providing something that they wanted and came to enjoy. And in a moment, they realized they not only were enslaved, but now they're being oppressed. Egypt was ruthless. Pharaoh was ruthless. Sin is ruthless. It will provide for you what you want in order to take from you your very life. 
That's what it does. They sought refuge. They had food and shelter. It felt good. It doesn't sin feel that way. Doesn't it feel good to break the rules sometimes? Right? Sometimes you're just so angry, it would just feel so good to just take the lid off. Sin at the moment of temptation only seems like a provider. It only does. The lie, the lust, the look, the word, whatever it is. You and I do it because we think there's something in it for us. And there is. I've heard it described this way. It's a candy-coated hook. It looks so good. And it is. And it's a good hook. And it's so stinking hard to get off. In fact, here's a spoiler alert um, for the rest of the book. Just going to let it out now. You probably know where this is going. They don't stay enslaved forever. Okay? God eventually rescues them. You saw that in the video. But in weak moments, you know what we see the nation of Israel do? They find themselves, though having been freed, wishing they were back in bondage. Chapter 16, verse 3, far later on in the account, captures these words from them. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly, assembly to death. They are out now having been freed by God, having been delivered. But they're a little insecure. They're wondering where their food's going to come from. Where's their water going to come from? Where's their shelter going to come from? This is not familiar to me. I'm not used to this. It would be better if I just went back to the way things were. And I think this is far more our story than we'd like to admit. When given a choice between slavery to sin, death, and obeying God, many people choose slavery or death. Because obeying God just seems too costly. It's too challenging. And we're naturally inclined to feel this way and see sin. If, if, only, I could just, if only I could just harness sin. If only I could harness, if only I could just draw from sin all the good and leave the bad behind. If I could have all the fun and enjoyment of sin, but get rid of the consequences. If I could just do what I want... And have things go the way I want. It, oh man, how amazing that would be. But it's ridiculous. In third grade, I went on one of the best field trips I've ever been on. We went to the local firehouse. And as a third grade boy, there were few things cooler to me than a firefighter. Like just what they did. Like you're looking at this thing that eats all material. And people, right? It's, it's so powerful. And these guys, what do they do? They just walk up to it. They walk into it. They take people from it. It's, it's, it's insane. It's amazing. And I remember wading through that whole entire demonstration of the bell and the truck and the ladder and the uniform and the hat. And I'm like, come on, come on, come on. Get to the good part. Get to the good part. 
What was the good part? It's the fire hose. Oh, man, the fire hose. I remember they, like, you know, opened up the valve or whatever. That thing filled right up. And a couple of guys, you know, held on to this thing. And they're just like, like, spraying the side of the building. It was so cool. I just was like, yes, you know. And I, I want to touch it. You know, let, let me have it. And, um, and I remember asking, like, just, can, I, can, I, can, I ha- can I hold the hose? And he, no. <laughs> just said no. And I was like, I want to hold the fire hose. And he, he kind of, the, the one man, they, I don't know if he shut it off, but he came over to me and he said, listen, it's too much for you to handle. Um, it'll hurt you real bad. If you've ever seen a hose, sort of like with the valve, the pressurized valve, and you, and you let it alone, it goes, whoosh, 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 like it looks pretty cool, right, until you try to walk up to it. Um, but I, I brought a couple here. This is, this is mine. Uh, this is more my speed right here. Um, I, I can work this one pretty well, you know, just undo the little valve on the side of my house and just pull this little trigger. I, I emptied it already. Um, and it, I can do this one. And, I, and I, think, I think sometimes you and I think this is what sin is like. I can handle this. Totally. This one is a special one. I was told to get this kind of hose. It's really great. Um, no advertising here. You can talk to me after. I'll tell you what it is. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I can do this. I can do And I think that we think we can do this. When we engage in sin, when we break God's commands, his decrees, his laws, when we do things we shouldn't, right, it feels cool. Like, as, as a young boy, there's fewer, fewer things cooler than just, like, working a hose. It's just fun. It's just something that feels cool about it. Just spraying stuff, you know, water the garden, I'm fine, but spray stuff. Um, this, is not, this is not what sin is like. This is what sin is like. This is an inch and three quarters uh, diameter. This is meant to be used by two to three men. Two to three men. They actually have two and a half inches that three to four men need to handle. And as a third grade kid, I don't remember which one it was. All I know is that as a third grade boy, if they open the valve, turn this thing on, and I let this thing go, it'll get stuff wet, right? And it'll destroy me. And that's exactly what he told me. When we deal with sin, this is what we're working with. Oh, yeah, just imagine being able to harness something like this. We can't. We weren't meant to. While it provides something, it eventually takes from us everything. And that firefighter was trying to communicate that to me on that day. And I, I just want to urge us this morning, you can't handle it. You can't do it. Sin will not be managed. You just can't. Listen, some of us in this room already know this. Our lives are full of the damage that sin has caused. Others... Others of us in this room, you're still trying to, uh, you know, judge your potential. 
to manage that fire hose. This is, this is one reason I'm, I'm drawn to student ministries. Great burden for students is that it, it does look really cool. And if you could actually manage it, it would make you look pretty powerful. But you can't. And you won't. These verses in Exodus serve to make sure we understand that sin cannot be trifled with. It's too much for us to handle on our own. Think about this for a second. I'm going to throw this phrase on the screen. Sin looks like a power to wield, but instead it's a pathway to pain. It just is. It's a pathway to pain. And it would be, honestly, it would be enough. It would be enough for me to warn you today in every way I can to avoid sin because it causes pain, but it's even more dangerous than that. Consider this here. Sin offers life but delivers death. Sin offers life but delivers death. Just glance quickly at verses 15 and 16. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were Shifra and Puah, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. What? Pharaoh had a plan to control the population of the nation of Israel because they were growing so numerous. And his plan would, would include eliminating the male population. But notice his plan wasn't to abort the babies before delivery. His plan was to assess the situation first and then kill the baby. His plan gave the illusion of life. Deliver the baby. But then only offer death. This is such a clear picture of what sin does. You and I are only drawn to see what it offers. We don't bother looking at the fine print to see what it will require of us, what it will take from us. Consider this New Testament passage that illustrates this perfectly. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's just what it earns. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sadly, my mind was drawn to our county. Drugs and alcohol. We have a problem. We know we have a problem. Why is it such a problem? Why are we so drawn to it? Because it offers something that we think we want. And before long, it's taken from us more than we even knew we had to give. It's affected you and your family. It's affected me. It's affected my family. While sin does provide something for us that feels or seems good at the time, it takes from us far more. And it's easy to see this process happen in the big sins, right? But it's also true of the more respectable sins that you and I just happen to tolerate in our lives. But I want to tell you this morning, and, and here's the reason I'm up here, is not to just tell you you're enslaved and in trouble, but to offer hope because it doesn't have to be this way. It does not have to be this way, not for you and not for the person who brought you. 
There is hope for freedom from the captivity of sin. Where can this freedom be found? Consider this. Freedom from sin begins with fearing God. Freedom from sin begins with fearing God. Look at verses 17 to 21. We'll see how this first chapter sort of rounds out. So Pharaoh gave the order to the midwives to kill the baby boys. What did they do? The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. I love this. Shifra and Pua were blessed by God for refusing to take infant life. They just weren't going to do it. And they weren't going to do it not because, you know, they were sort of above that. It says they feared God. In a culture where Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is a god and viewed as such, God is communicating to us that, no, no, they feared God. Not little g God. Big G God and refused to do it. And because they feared God, he was kind to them and gave them families of their own. He gave them, ultimately, what they had been guarding. Life. Un. Believable. Unbelievable. Now, notice they lied, okay? And the writers of Scripture don't always take the time to say, and what they said was wrong and they shouldn't have done it, right? They're just recording what happened. We understand lying is wrong. God did not bless them for lying. He blessed them for preserving life. That's the point. They demonstrate something very important to us. They too lived in the land as slaves, yet they did not find their identity there. They feared God and received a new identity in the land of death. They brought forth life. Here it is. In the midst of captivity, they responded to a higher authority and found life. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. Here's where our hope is. In this series, again and again, we're going to call you to see yourself in someone else's story. If we're going to understand the human story, we have to understand our relationship to sin. We came into it by default. Captivity. Oppression. Temptation, right? But then, freedom can be found. Freedom can be found. As a result of the actions of the two Hebrew midwives, God God brought about deliverance for his people, the Israelites. His plan of rescue continued. One of the baby boys who was saved plays a key role in the deliverance of this entire nation. And that's where our story picks up next week. Next week. So as I said earlier, We all begin at the same place, enslaved to sin. Don't mind that. We're just doing what we need to do. We all begin at the same place, 
But as I said, you determine where you go from here. You determine your relationship with sin moving forward. And I just want to ask you, what will your response to sin be today? Will you continue to live in it? Serving it as a slave? Or today, will you fear God and find freedom? Let me just ask you, I wonder how many of you are feeling this way today. This is Romans 7, 24 and 25. Paul writes, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Romans 5, 6 through 8, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were sinners, while we were held captive, while we were in our Egypt, Jesus died for the ungodly. He died for you and for me. He died the death our sin earned for us in our place that if we would fear him, believe in him, look to him, we would find freedom from sin forever. And not only its power in our lives, but its eternal penalty because Jesus paid it on the cross for you and for me. Today, you can look to him and you can find freedom from the sin that enslaves you and is oppressing you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? I just want to ask you, just stop and think for a second. Are you enslaved to sin this morning? I, th- I think there's two calls here. There's two calls for the people in this room. If you would say that your relationship to sin this morning is that of a slave, that is, you are enslaved, you know that you just give in to sin. It owns you. The call is to find freedom today through fearing God. The call is to say, Jesus, I'm enslaved to sin my own sin, and I need you to rescue me. I believe, and if you would pray this with with me this morning, if you need rescue from your sin, then you just say, Jesus, I need rescue. I am enslaved, and I am trusting that you, through your death for me, paid the penalty for my sin and provide freedom for me right now. I'm asking you to forgive me and free me from my sin. And out of gratitude for freeing me from my sin, I want to live my life for you. If you prayed that, something like that, here along with me this morning for the first time, would you, in in the privacy of the moment, just put your hand up if you're online, throw your hand up in the chat, Ask for prayer from a chat host. They'll be happy to help you. If you have reached out to God this morning for freedom from your sin, can you just throw up a hand and let me know? I see it. Thank you. I see it. Thank you.
There's another call this morning. It's a call to quit running back to your slavery. Trying to work the fire hose. You know it doesn't work. And maybe today there's a sin that's just got your number. And just keeps singing its siren song calling you back. Would you just lay it down today? Just confess it. Forsake it. Turn away. It's only causing pain. Would you do that today? Whether you threw your hand up for the first time in a movement of faith in Jesus, or you just need to lay your sin down, please find, grab the arm of the person who invited you this morning. Talk to somebody on stage. Talk to me. Talk to Bob back at the Next Steps table. Anyone with a blue and white name tag, we want to help you. Let's pray together. God, we, we know that freedom is found only through Jesus Christ. And it's his name we've been singing praise to all morning. It's him alone we worship. But in weak moments, I think we just forget. We need your help. Would you work in our hearts as only you can? Bring about the change that only you can bring. For your glory, for our joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.